Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, my man, what's going on today? How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing uh, pretty well. I'm, I'm looking forward to our recording session today, as always. Yes, another interesting topic, hopefully for our listeners. Uh, before we dive into that, just a reminder that we are self-sponsored, which means we are not taking money from random supplement com- companies or telling you to put some magic stuff in your coffee, and that'll solve all your performance gains. Instead, what we have is a Patreon account where you get all sorts of sweet stuff, like a book club, which we just had Cal Newport on, which was really exciting for an hour to answer all all our Patreon's questions we've got other exciting authors on the way we've got guides we've got an exclusive mastermind group all sorts of sweet stuff so if that interests you head over to patreon.com slash the growth equation to check it out all right yes please do we're really growing that community um we're well into the hundreds and it's neat to to have that community um because yeah, it's just great. I love all you guys. Thank you for your support. It's nice to have people that really care and want to go deep on these topics. Um, all right, cool. So today we are going to talk about hero worship and the increasing like performative nature of so much that um, I and my brain pretty directly link to the internet. So, Steve, why don't you unpack those three things? Hero worship, performative everything, and the internet. (laughs) The internet drives everything, I think. Um, So let's start with this. Hero worship is essentially what happens when you... um, It's what happens when you get stuck on almost having having this idea that whoever you follow, whoever, um, you know you're paying attention to is the expert says everything is in your corner, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and basically what happens in the, the world of the internet is we tend to almost, we tend to almost like fall into these groups, right? Where all of a sudden we believe this person and this person has everything right and everything's good. And what happens is we lose track of the site that like the internet, especially in social media in particular is, is like, it's almost like a facade. It's what's projected out into the world by that person. And I think because of the closeness of it, because we can sit there and watch them on Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok or whatever, and it feels real. I think sometimes we forget that, what we're seeing is just what they are projecting. And it is very easy to project expertise. It is very easy to project a particular image that isn't always true. Yeah. And and that very much ties into this notion of performative everything, which is um, if you know that you are doing something and others are watching, it starts to become just that. It starts to become a performance, not real. And in science, we call this the observer effect, right? Which means that if you know that you're being observed, 
then there's a change in the behavior that you're observing. So this is even true for physiological stuff. If you know that someone's counting your breath rate, your breath rate's going to either slow or, or speed up. If you know that someone's measuring your blood pressure, your blood pressure is going to get higher. So in this instance, I think for individuals that spend a lot of time uh, creating and sharing content on the internet, and I think Steve and I are certainly in that bucket, so it'll be interesting to talk about how we manage this, like the observer effect is real because it does change your behavior when you know that you might post something or there might be people watching. And this is obviously on a spectrum from someone that's writing one column a month to a TikTok, Instagram influencer whose entire life is streaming. Yeah, and it's even true for us. I mean, look at our conversations on the phone versus our conversations on this podcast. Like we try to do our best to have, you know, um, similar conversations and just kind of have it be a relaxed feel. But anytime you're recording something, anytime you're stepping in front of something that is going to a, a wide audience, you almost automatically go into this performer mode. So when you're on the, when you're like, we'll say one of these experts, a lot of it is, um, is figuring out how to keep some sort of reality there uh, versus turning into performance mode. But it can also be very tempting, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into. It can be very tempting to craft the image, personality, et cetera, that you want without having to do the work to have your, you know, what you're saying match up with your actual behaviors and beliefs. Yeah. Last week on the podcast, we talked about the whole Rachel Hollis um, nonsense right, where she posted on her Instagram that she is unrelatable and she wants to be unrelatable and the whole facade of like this self-help guru kind of started to come down. Um, but I heard from a coaching client of mine that this client, she recently hired someone that used to work for Rachel Hollis. And apparently that person deals with like legitimate anxiety because it was such a toxic work environment in Rachel Hollis's company. So here you have this person that projects this entire um, aura of like peace and having everything together and, and yet they don't and neither does their organization. And I don't want to just pick on Rachel Hollis. I mean, this is true like far and wide, unfortunately. You know, and I think that, that gets to the kind of heart of the discussion and the heart of the problem is, it's easy to project, right? It's easy to put out there what we want. I mean, look at look at what we're doing, Brad. For example, it's easy to understand what plays well in the audience because we have data and feedback, right? If we send out a tweet and it crushes, well, it's very simple to say, oh, that message did really well. I'm just going to go in this direction and craft things around this message. And soon enough, what you're doing is you're just sitting there being like, oh, this message does well. I'm going to do this. I'm going to copy this. I'm going to make it very similar instead of sending out things that might, you know, reflect what your actual values are. You start positioning things based on how they're doing. And no one, you know, no one or very few people know unless they're on the inside if you actually believe or value or live your life to what you're putting out there versus just saying A, B, and C because it does really well on social media. 
Yeah, so I think that's a really good point. And I think we should definitely get into the the importance of values to keep both um, the person that's like creating and sharing honest and also the person on the receiving end honest. Um, I also think that there's this other element that happens where if you are aware that when you share something, you begin to perform and it puts all kinds of different pressures on you, you might withhold sharing, even if you really want to. So again, putting my own skin in the game, I clearly am have some like deep underlying insecurity about my fitness. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why, but it's there. So if I were to post videos of myself deadlifting, squatting and bench pressing on the internet, I could say that I don't really care, but of course I care. Like why else would I be posting them? And I know that about myself. So I have a very hard and fast rule, which is like, I don't post any workout videos on the internet. I just send them to Steve. Um, and it's, 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 I think a part of it is also because I, sometimes I see other people posting this stuff and like, I'm like, oh, that's interesting, but I wonder like how it makes them feel. And I think in the moment you do it, it makes you feel really good because you're sharing something that you might be proud of or that's connected to your identity. But I think right after that moment, you're kind of putting a pressure on yourself. Um, what happens if people don't think that you're strong? What happens if you get injured? Um, and that's just one of many examples. People do this with their relationships, with their kids. And there's no right answer, but what works for me is kind of, I, I define the parts of my life that I want totally to own and to be like real and analog. And I do not ever post those things on the internet. And if I'm going to treat them in writing, it's going to be in a book um, where I have space to like really breathe and where people can't like comment on it because it's in a book, not in an app. <laughs> I'm, gl I'm glad to hear that you just share those videos with uh, with me and not everybody else. But I, I, I think what you get Caitlin at gets them too. Oh, Caitlin gets them too. Got it. Um, <laughs> I'm Brad's own uh, personal Instagram, I guess. Um, but 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 it is interesting there, right? Because part of it is that like feel good hit. We'll call it of of like that dopamine neurochemical type stuff of like, oh, look at me. Look what I did. I just yes. squatted 350 pounds. Hooray. Right. And it's like it, of course, like that's part of human nature to like want to get kudos to want to get feed positive feedback on something that we've done. I think what we're saying here is that it's easy to go from, oh, I just want to feel good, get some feedback to go to the like extreme level of where now this is like impacting my health and well-being and I'm searching for these things, right? And the comparison is becoming a negative or on the other hand, which I think you see a lot in which it is a, gets to this hero worship and performative everything is you're no longer like doing the work, but putting it out there as if you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, because you're so consumed with performing instead of actually doing. And something else that happens with the observer effect is if you are actually doing, life becomes very exhausting because what sells on the internet are the extremes. 
extreme happiness, extreme sadness, extreme excitement, extreme despair. So if you are living a life that is very much in aligned with like what works or what you post on the internet, your days are going to be really freaking exhausting because in order to do well on, on the internet, in one day you have to like get proposed to, make incredible money, have sex, enter a terrible depression, um, come out of that terrible depression, see the sun and write a poem about it. And there are people who's like, I think Instagram is particularly bad for this because it's so visual with videos and, and images. But this this holds true, again, like I think pretty broadly on the internet in terms of like where creators create, you kind of have two choices. You either have to fake it if you're going for that and protect yourself or your life becomes this exhausting emotional roller coaster. Yeah, and it's interesting because you see a lot of people, or not a lot, but you see some people go down that fake it route. And in particular, I'm thinking of, um, you know, my world of of running. As you see people like fake Strava segments, right? You see people like cheat in in races to fake marathon times or what have you. And it's just, and sometimes it's like, you know again doctors and other people who you would think well why do they care if if you know i run my 5k strava segment a little bit faster but it happens because like people go down this performative route where it didn't just start that way obviously but they're still searching they're still reaching and the natural consequence of that is if you can't get that out of doing the work then you start reaching to that next level. No different than I'm sure that most self-help, you know, people start off with pretty good intentions, but some go down the path of, and you've seen this in writing of, you know, making stuff up wholeheartedly, um, plagiarism, even other things. But you also see it again, as we hinted at in that uh, earlier, when you talked about Rachel Hollis or last time is that, the message becomes more important than, you know, um, uh, holding your, your values or your life to whatever message you're holding forth. And I think that's where we run into really big problems. Yeah. And, and, and the biggest problem is the consumer of these stories then might start to measure their own performance, life, happiness, relationship, whatever it is against what they perceive to be real, but is actually fake. One of my little heuristics is that the individuals that are constantly posting about how happy they are or how sad they are or whatever it is on social media, um, I am not envious of them in any direction because my own personal belief is that if your whole life is on social media, you are probably not actually that happy. And if you really are happy and then you start living your whole life on social media, it's going to make you sad um, because I and I'm going to put down kind of a, a values stake here, my own values. I think like the analog world is just so much richer and more fulfilling um, and more textured than the Internet. So if someone's on the Internet all day, then... I don't think that they're they're making the most out of their limited time here. 
mean, Steve, I think you once told me that like the time to become skeptical of any like writer, author, speaker is when they start like tweeting over 20 times a day. Say more about what you mean by that, because I agree uh, with you. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is like the more time you spend in this bubble, the more you tend to think that is the real world, right? And the more that you're sitting there, you know, valuing and and um, and reinforcing like the values that occur in the social media world, which is get more likes, get more influence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, anything we give attention to, our brain kind of says, oh, this is valuable. So if we're spending our time, you know, tweeting 30 times a day or posting a bunch of Instagram photos or whatever you do, making TikToks all day, it's not that those things are inherently evil or bad in, in their own right, but if they be, if they shift towards this kind of obsessive over this uh, this social media stuff, then it's it's more like really we're shifting into this danger zone of like, uh-oh, like I'm going to get trapped into this bubble where this stuff is really important and I'm going to start shifting my behaviors to maximize or value um, the social media world, which runs into some of the problems we've talked about. Right. And everything is so ephemeral. Like you're only as good as your last, you know, Instagram post or tweet makes you feel. Um, and I think it's very fragile to have that kind of identity. I, I wonder if there are exceptions. And the person that comes to my mind right now, just because um, I've been following her work really closely over the last year is Zainab Tefechki. Um, who I'm going to pull up her handle right now um, so I can tell you guys. It's just at Zeynep, Z-E-Y-N-E-P. And I'm looking at her Twitter. And so Zeynep is a sociologist at North Carolina. Um, and she is just on fire, I think, as an intellectual in regards to the political situation in this country. But less about like Republican Democrat and more about like power structure and how we got to where we are today. She's been really good on COVID. Um, and she tweets all the time. I'm looking at this, like she's, she's definitely over that threshold of 20. And I wonder if Zane, and I think most people would agree that like Zainab has been a gift, particularly during COVID because she's just been right on everything. Um, she comes from a third world or second world country. I, I don't know exactly, but, um, Turkish and when she was raised, I don't know where it's classified, but in any event, she has like this no bullshit like thing about her where she just calls a spade a spade and she's very smart. And I'm really glad that she does because whenever anything happens with COVID and the news is reporting on it, I just go to Zainab's Twitter feed to get the lowdown. And she's been like bulletproof. Um, I wonder if someone like Zainab and I, and I kind of, I, I know the answer to this question because I've, um, I've tweeted at her and she's responded. It like made my day speaking of being like emotionally attached to Twitter. I'm like, yes, Zainab responded to me, but I've asked her, I'm like, do you, like, how do you watch out? So you don't fall into this trap. And she's like, I try really hard not to. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting there because I'm sure, I'm sure it can be done and she might be an example of how it, how it can be done. But the further deep you go, the better you have to have, I'd say, guardrails and awareness, right? Right. Like you truly have to give 
Sorry, I think I just swore, and we've gotten feedback that I should swear less. You have to give no biscuits about what other people think. And it's it's very difficult, and I think it's interesting, because we've seen, like, eminent, well-respected scientists even go down some of these rabbit holes, you know? Totally. And, they get, and, it, and it can be on, like, a very um, particular topic. Um, like, the number of straight binary people that study nothing to do with sexuality and gender that have like gotten stuck in the Twitter orbit on transgender stuff. And then their whole existence becomes arguments around gender and sexuality. When in fact they were like, in theory, a social psychologist studying something under, like it's just mind blowing how, how very like what society would have said as a smart person can, can get warped into these things. Exactly. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking of a couple examples off the top of my head. I want and we did say before this podcast that we're not going to name names because um, we want to like stay above the fray. And yep. some of the names I name are people that like are like combat experts that I actually think are not very tough on the inside, but they definitely beat my ass on the outside and I'm not looking to get my ass beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's interesting how people again, the science one is really interesting because to me, as a scientist, you're kind of trained to degree to like step back, like see where the evidence takes you, et cetera, et cetera. But it just shows how, you know, any of us can be susceptible because you have these people who are supposedly are very smart, who are very trained in this, this way of thinking um, who still fall down these these traps. And I think that's an even greater warning to, you know, to the rest of us that it is very, very easy. And I think you can even expand this. Well, we've been talking about, you know, we'll say experts or influencers or uh, celebrities to a degree. I think this this applies to anybody. Right. I mean, think about again, not naming names, but think about maybe your uh, your uncle on Facebook or whatever who has gone down this rabbit hole and spends half of his time posting on Facebook about, you know, whatever QAnon conspiracy or mass conspiracy you want to have, because that has like somehow infiltrated and become kind of part of their identity and defending that has become part of their identity that. It's just like what they do now. Yeah, I, I think back to the science point, a, a key attribute of thinking like a scientist is to be dispassionate. And the internet is like the least dispassionate place there is. Everything is like super laden with passion and emotion and needing to be right and needing feedback and needing to um, prove to your tribe that you still stand with them. And therefore, I think it's a place by and large um, where like critical thinking and debate goes to die, um, which is really problematic. And, and I, and, and, you know, what the counter would be that now I'm just like the old curmudgeon that when the printing press came out, everyone said the printing press is going to destroy us. And when television came out and radio, everyone said television radio is going to destroy us. Um, so who knows, maybe our brains will adapt to the pace and um, ubiquity of the internet, but I'm, I'm worried clearly. 
and I and, and I do like this is so now okay so let's let's put skin in the game. The listener could be saying, well, Brad and Steve, like I just downloaded this on the internet, and you guys are on Twitter, and you have a newsletter on the internet, and all these things. And the way that I think of this is, the more meaningful the conversation is, the further away I'm going to go from what I view as the worst of internet culture, which is like the hot take on social media. So. If you look at the stuff that we tend to post on Twitter, it is like very concrete. Here's a tip. And people might be like, your tip sucks. And I'll be like, thanks. I'm going to go get some Taco Bell. Um, but I'm not looking to like really engage in deep conversation there. For our newsletter, you have more space to do that because someone like the, there's a barrier. Someone has to write you an email and then you can write back and forth. And for our podcast, they view it very similarly. Um, but ultimately... Like the place where I want to produce the best information and consume the best information is in books, precisely because books are removed from the internet. Yeah, it's it's I I like your kind of classification there, um, and I think that. And there's even one more. Sorry, like there are certain things that I mentioned earlier don't go into any of this stuff, and that's the stuff that's like way too sacred to to have be influenced by anything. I don't want to have any observer effect on like my intimate relationships and how I parent. Yeah. And that's kind of creating those boundaries and those guardrails for you. Right. It's like knowing what you're okay putting on the internet and what you're using things for. Right. And, and I, the parenting thing gets tough. I know you don't have a kid, Steve, but like I'm sure there are people that are listening that post all kinds of pictures of their their families on the internet or their kids. And you could say that it's like a really good way to share the images with um with other family members. And perhaps I mean, one of two things are going on. Either those those these people, you all that are listening, you're fooling yourselves and you are actually changing like your relationship to your child because you know that you'll be posting pictures of them or whatever on the internet. Or you just have better willpower than me. And I know myself well enough to know that like once something goes public, I kind of start to care what other people think. And there are certain areas of my life where I don't want to care what other people think unless those people are in my closest social circles. So I will pick up the phone and call them or text them or email them. Yeah, what you're getting at there is that we have this natural tendency to almost um, drift, right? Drift our behaviors and actions uh, towards what other people think towards the feedback we're getting. And even if you're, you're sitting here thinking like, Oh, well, you know, whatever, whatever people say on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, like that internet stuff, that doesn't bother me. But I think what I hear you saying is like, there's a natural tendency to drift and you know, you're going to have that tendency. So like, this is Marshall McLuhan's um, famous work on, technology. And in 1967, he wrote a book called The Medium is the Message, which basically said that we pay so much attention to the content of what we are creating, but it's actually the distribution mechanism that shapes that. So in the case of sending a picture to a loved one in the mail with a note, the medium there is very intimate and slow and deliberate and private. So the message there is going to be very intimate, thoughtful, deliberate, and private. Posting a picture on Facebook, 
the medium there, what Facebook is all about is wanting you to spend more time on the platform. Well, how do they do it? They give you likes and retweets and comments, and they ask you to post more pictures. So the more time you spend, I would argue, posting family photos on Facebook, the more that your parenting is actually going to start to look like what Facebook wants it to look like. Um, there are there are counter, right? Like any good theoretical debate, there's another school of thought that says that McLuhan just has no willpower and the message is the message and mediums always change over time, but messages are stable. Um, I tend to be much more in McLuhan's camp where I do think that the media might not be the message, but it certainly shapes the message. Hmm. That's uh, that's interesting. We talked I mean, about this. I feel like we talked about this in December on the podcast in the episode where we talked about Neil Postman's amusing ourselves to death. You know, really similar. Like, how on earth can any news be serious if the way that the news is covered is like going from you know some terrible trauma in your community to now Gary is going to make a joke and then tell you about the weather. So like it all kind of becomes this joke. Yeah, yeah, I remember uh, going over that. For those listeners who haven't, um, you might want to check out that episode because we dive into some of these similar topics uh, to a high degree. But it's it's interesting to to think about, and I know we're kind of zoomed out into maybe what feels like the esoteric for the listeners. But you know, I don't have a kid, but Brad does, and these are the types of things you have to think about and worry about, and even with the students or the athletes I, I work with, you know, I remember having, or I've had numerous discussions on social media uh, because they're all like, Oh, you have a lot of followers. What is this like? And it always comes back to me or comes back to the difference or what I tell them is that social media, I try to use for a purpose versus once it becomes that thing that I just go to or that thing that I have no intention behind, then I know I need to put some guardrails up, right? Because if I start mindlessly doing it, then the app, the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitter, whatever, that's winning the battle in terms of changing my behaviors. If I'm using it, for example, we'll say Twitter, if I'm using that to convey tips or information, then that's serving this intentful purpose that I'm, you know, trying to utilize that communication system modality for. And I think like having those divisions is incredibly important and having the awareness to understand like when it's using you versus when you are using it. And I think what we're getting at here is it is, the more use you have, the more kind of you fall down this trap that we've talked about, especially if you have some influence, the easier it is to fall into almost being like a, a video game that we're trying to win in the sense of, well, I can get more likes, follows, like feed positive feedback if I do X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, even if that doesn't reflect my true values, intentions, actions, behaviors. Right. And getting back to what we what we opened with around hero worship and performative everything, well, if the internet rewards heroes with tons of followers that then you can monetize or at the very least like psychologically feel good about, and the way to 
get those followers is to be at extremes, whether it's extreme happiness, extreme sadness, extreme expertise, extreme tribalism, then most people aren't in extremes all the time. So then you start performing and then you get performative everything or the observer effect, your life actually starts to look like the stuff that you're posting all day and then your life becomes miserable. It's really tricky. And this is not just for people that make a living doing stuff on the internet. I think this is for um, for all sorts of people. And again, even if you never post a freaking thing on any medium, you never post on social media, you never blog, you never do this, you never do that. Well, if you consume any of this stuff, it can be really helpful to know that this is happening. Um, because again, then you're not like comparing your own life or your own practices to something that is... Um, that is highly performative. People yeah, can you do know. it without going down this like trap, but those people tend to have fairly boring online presences. Like I'm thinking of like the people that I just freaking admire and love so much. And like someone that comes to mind is um, Jack Cornfield or Tara Brock. And they are both um, meditation teachers, psychologists, and their internet presence is pretty boring. And I would trust the two of them like on a meditation retreat much more than the people that are like tweeting cool videos of them meditating all the time. I would not trust those people. It's interesting, isn't it, man? Yeah, no. I think about all the people in like different domains that I really like and their internet presence is boring. Another person I like in, in... not to get political because I actually like his work on the non-political topics the most, but um, I like Ezra Klein quite a bit. And like a year and a half ago, Ezra Klein basically said that like the internet's ruining my brain, so I'm going to stop tweeting so much, turn off all my comments, and just focus on longer form stuff. And like it's good self awareness, but guess what? Ezra Klein's internet presence has gotten a lot more boring. <laughs> so it it really is, and you're playing. I think what you're getting at is you're playing this 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 battle, this game, right? Between like doing performative stuff on the internet gains you X followers, you know, likes, feedback, positive reinforcement, etc. But it pulls you away, I think, in a lot of things from the actual work or the actual impact, right? It It's kind of, you know, to bring this to the athletic realm, it's the person who posts like videos of some of their workouts all the time, yet their performance in races or competitions is just kind of stagnating or there, you know? Although it looks like they're working really hard and I'm sure they are to a degree, but like it's more about the appearance of working hard versus like the mind numbingly boring stuff of actually working hard, you know? Yeah. Or the person that is like, you know, live tweeting their therapy. And why do you need to live tweet your therapy? Why can't you just get better for the sake of getting better? And this is whether we're talking in mind, I had physical therapy, but the same is true for emotional therapy. Like people live tweet that too. It's like, just why not just do it? And if you need, if you need someone to comment on your ACL rehab or on your, you know, um, comeback from depression or whatever it is, 
then you're putting a a lot of pressure on yourself. And B, I'd argue like, why isn't it enough just to do it for yourself? Yeah. Or, you know, taking this to the next level, it's even conversations, right? Like someone that I kind of admire for their conversations, even though I sometimes disagree with them is, is Sam Harris, who has a lot of difficult conversations or topics uh, in a wide variety of fields, which sometimes can get him in trouble. Um, but I admire that more than the person who goes wherever the like mob will say the mom mentality goes on different topics to get kind of that feedback or that like, or another person who's more kind of closer to our sports world, um, who sometimes I disagree with as well is is Ross Tucker, who sometimes takes on some very difficult topics. But what I admire about Ross is he tends to go where he thinks the evidence points him to. And sometimes that puts them in the, in the point of controversy, but like, his his viewpoint isn't dependent on okay this is going to get me the likes or this is going to put me in favorable regard for my quote unquote tribe yeah when you were talking about that someone else who just totally sucks on the internet but who's freaking brilliant and whose stuff is great to read is dave epstein sorry dave if you're listening but dave's twitter feed is capital b boring and that's probably why his written like long form work is so good is because he's not on Twitter all day. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. Um, you should still give Dave a follow because he's our good friend and he's smarter than us. But um, I was joking around the other day actually with Dave that I was going to release my next book under a pseudonym Dave Epstein and just switch the E and I in his name because the book would do so much better than Anyways, I digress. Um, <laughs> or Steve's next book is going to be by Malcolm Fladwell. <laughs> um, oh, man, I'm trying not to do these digressions as often. So, yeah, I, I, I think that like the maybe where this stuff again comes together is that if you're going to swim in the Internet pool, you have to have really strong guiding principles and values and you can't care what other people think. And even that is so unnatural because sometimes it's good to care what other people think, right? Because the risk with not caring what other people think is then you become a contrarian for the sake of becoming a contrarian. And those people are terrible too, where it's like, oh, screw what the other people think. I'm so strong-willed. And it's like, actually, dude, like all the other people are telling you that you are racist because you are racist. You should start to care what the other people think. It's really tricky. And a lot of times in the contrarians for the sake of being contrarian group, they are contrarian on A and they're right. And then they get that rush of not caring what other people think and being right. And then on B through Z, they are still contrarian and um, they're wrong. Like an example that is fascinating to watch play out now. And again, we're not going to name names, and, and but there are names that we know, some people we know quite well is you get people that are like really smart in one thing and were contrarian on one thing and they got it right. And those are the same people that are saying like masks cause mouth cancer. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm sure we're thinking of some similar examples here, but it's, 
it's people who are again some people in the scientific field who were spot on and contrarian in their field and made enormous breakthroughs right and were lauded for it and won awards and like all that stuff and highly respected but then they take that contrarianism somewhere else and they're wrong but you can you can kind of see well it's almost like well that contrarian led them to great things and allowed them to be good but not having the awareness to say that okay just because i'm contrarian on this and it worked out it's not going to work out on everything some of the normal stuff like the accepted wisdom is going to be true yeah so it, it's yeah. like you've, you've got to again come back to like well if i'm that person I, i'm sitting there in my own life okay if that was to happen to me because i like to be contrarian sometimes like how do you prevent you from going to that nth degree where all of a sudden you're you know believing in some crazy stuff that has has no backing because your tendency is to be contrarian Right. So again, being on the receiving end of that, I tend to look and if I see that someone is just a contrarian on everything, I'm very skeptical because most things aren't contrarian. <laughs> like most things are the way that they ought to be because years and years of evolution and debate has gotten them to that point. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff. I don't think like there are answers. I think you are either, um, you're either aware of it, this stuff happens, and that awareness guides how you choose to share your beliefs and information and exist on the internet, and also how you choose to receive beliefs in, in information on the internet. Um, but there is no, there's no easy answer. Yeah, I mean, it's all, all kind of complicated and difficult. Is there anyone else? I'm just trying to think, and again, like we don't have to name names. So there's the there's the performance of everything. There's the person that fakes it. There's the person who actually starts to align their life based on what the internet wants. Eric Fromm in um, his work, for those that don't know, Eric Fromm is a polymath, what, psychologist, philosopher, sociologist, um, psychotherapist that um, did a lot of his best work between the 40s and 60s. And even back then, he, he wrote often about what he called the marketing personality. In the marketing personality is someone who believes that their personality is on a marketplace. So they're constantly changing their personality for what that marketplace wants. So this isn't just the internet. I just think the internet intensifies this. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're spot on. It's not a, it's not a internet. The internet wasn't around phenomenon. when Fram coined the marketing personality. But to me now, the marketing yeah, personality just, is that person that like has to, you know, Again, either fake it. And I, I don't know what's worse. I almost think the people that fake it are better off because at least like their lives aren't like these crazy emotional roller coasters. I think the people who have like the internet observer effect impact their lives, they tend to not be in great spots with their physical or emotional health. Because again, how could you? Because what the internet rewards is extremes and living a life of constant extremes is really exhausting. Yep. And I mean, I think you see this. I mean, again, I know we said we haven't, we don't want to name names, but we've already named her. But I, th I think Rachel Hollis is a good example, not to pile on, but like she was. This is a perfect example of like part of her her kind of stick self help was like marriage counseling, which she did as well, and then her marriage falls apart. Right? They get 
divorce and that sucks but i think part of that is again we get we fall in love with the image the idea well like the foundational work in our own lives kind of takes a backseat for this like superficial kind of work in you know in the internet lives it's just very strange do you know was rachel hollis like was her writing on marriage like stay in a marriage while hers was falling apart. Yeah. Cause there, and we don't know, I think it's important nuance, right? Cause you can be a great marriage counselor and have been divorced. And if a part of your counseling is actually like telling people when they ought to maybe think about separating or getting divorced, that's fine. But if you're writing books about like staying in a marriage when, so like I, I'd give a counter example of that is like another very famous self-help author, Glennon Doyle, you know, whose book untame yourself is done really well. Her first book was all about like staying in a marriage and she's a lesbian that's married to a man that's not happy in that marriage. And her next book, Untamed or whatever, I don't know if it's exactly her next book, maybe she wrote one in between, but it's like totally just like dropping the weight off her shoulders. And she's someone that's actually done really successful because she's been like, Jesus, like I, that was like, maybe some of that was true at a time in my life, but like I was doing the performative thing and like now here I am being more real. Um, it's all, yeah. And that, that self-awareness is huge. Yeah. And I think that's what it comes down to is like this, you know, as, as we give examples, as we talk about this stuff, it just shows the messiness of life and the messiness of world. And we're never going to be all always be, um, you know, spot on or even consistent and that's okay. And that's part of, you know, that's part of this whole reality is I think we give off this in the Internet world, this performative stuff. We give off this message that everything should be consistent and all this stuff. But the reality is it's all a mess and we're trying to figure it out. And if we could and that's where I think it does damage is if we could get that message across that like, hey, we don't know everything. Hey, like I'm still figuring this out like hey, I'm not perfect, then that's a great message. But on the flip side, I think sometimes you, yeah, sometimes I think people take that message and it's like this fake, fake vulnerability. Yeah, performative vulnerability, totally. So it's all a mess. Yeah, um, indeed. So I think, you know, the next thing that I'd say is in the spirit of... um, what we talked about with kind of how you and I think about different levels of sharing. Uh, I think it'd be neat for us to go a little bit deeper into how you and I personally deal with this. Um, we gave like a few surface examples, but areas like where we have shared stuff that's maybe like feels more intimate or personal and how that's affected us and in times when we've chosen that we haven't. Um, and I think we should do that for um, Patreon members. I don't necessarily want to do it for uh, thousands of people that listen, but I think if people are in our community, then I feel more comfortable doing it over there. So what if we put a wrap on the show? I think it's been very good conversation. I hope it's super helpful for everyone. Um, and for those of you that are uh, in the Patreon community or, or that want to get in the Patreon community, um, Go over to Patreon. Hopefully by now, if, you, if you're currently in the community, you've got the podcast catcher on your phone. If not, we've posted instructions on our Patreon homepage on how to do it. 
If you're not in the community, but you want to support us and kind of get this next level deeper, um, you can head over to Patreon slash The Growth Equation, and um, we'll keep the conversation going there. And for those of you that aren't, either because you just don't want to be or you don't have the financial ability to be right now, um, we totally get that. That's good. We hope that um, you got a lot of value out of the, the show as it is. That sounds like a good plan to me. So, and, and I'll say one other last thing here. If you are, because we don't want money to be a barrier to, to people not being able um, to join the Patreon community. So if you are somebody that is not in a financial position to, um, to join the community, just shoot us an email through our website, uh, www.thegrowtheq.com, letting us know. And um, we'll provide the full episodes uh, when we do this for you too. Because again, we don't want financial stuff to be a barrier, particularly in these times of COVID when a lot of people are having financial hardship. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.